0: Okay, today is November the fifteenth. Okay. <laughs> I was up looking around number two and three here. <laughs> Tempest fugit. Okay, uh November the fifteenth, two thousand eleven. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can understand the entire realm of doctrine, that it is coherent, it is complete, and it is accurate. And we pray that You will help us to focus so that we can incorporate Your principles and the Scriptures themselves into our soul so that we can be prepared and be good and faithful servants. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to do a little review on James chapter 2. We finished the Jehovah Witnesses and their theology last time. And I thought it would be just kind of natural to flow right into James chapter 2 because this is where the Jehovah Witnesses as well as others who are professing Christians, those who profess faith in Christ, but say that you have to have works as well, This is one of their favorite places in the Bible to go. And it's just a demonstration of someone who has a little knowledge that thinks they have a lot and and they are confused. So we're going to digest this again a bit. Some of you weren't here and I think it's worth going over anyway. Do you remember some of the, without looking at your notes by the way, do y'all remember some of the things you could tell someone, some of the questions you could ask someone who alleges that you do have to have faith in Christ, but you also have to have works as well? You don't have to tell me what any of the questions are, but just let me know if you know of any. How many of you know of any? Let me see your hands. Okay, good. Um, Anybody so bold as to make a stab at what one question might be? Okay, how many how many works would it take? That's a good one. What kind of works would it take? Okay. No, these were on my list, but they're good. <laughs> That's okay. No, they're they're acceptable. They're good. Oh, there you go. If if, if If a person has to work in order to be saved, then why did Christ have to go to the cross? And what are you supposed to do after you ask that question? Wait for an answer. Because there might be a bit of silence because it might be the first time that anyone asks them that question. They may have never even thought about that before, and you need to give them a little bit of time to think. Um, Anybody remember any other ones that would be? Cindy? Yeah, but we're not to there yet. <laughs> uh, that would be good, but we're still, we're just talking about generally speaking. In fact, most of the people that you're going to come in contact with are probably going to be professing believers and also the majority of them are going to think that faith is not enough, that you also have to have works. We're not even getting to James 2 yet. We're just addressing the princ- that principle and how to deal with it Because a lot of times people, in fact, probably most of the time, the people that you will talk to that believe that you have to add works to faith in order to be saved, they don't even know about James 2. So we have to be able to address those. And that's probably the ones that you're going to uh, come in contact with the most. The most powerful thing you can do when you're talking to people about doctrine or about the gospel, whatever it may be, is ask them questions. If nothing else, you can get them to think, which most people don't do. They just parrot things that other people have told them and they don't even think about it. They just think, that sounds good to me. I'll use that one. Furthermore, it keeps them engaged. If you start just, which we don't mean to do, but some people have a tendency of getting excited and they just say everything they know about the Bible. And they drone on and on and some aren't that adept at reading body language. And you can you can if you're if you're alert, you can see when they've tuned out. They're not going to tell you, well, you can rattle on, but I tuned out two minutes ago. They're not going to say that, but you can tell by their body language. One of the things they start doing start doing is just putting more space between you and them. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's just natural for people to do that. And and you you can lose them and not even know it. But if you're asking them questions, it demands that they stay engaged and think about how to respond to your question. And I came up with another one today. It just I just thought, why hadn't I thought about that before? Because you're going to talk to people that, are going to be closed-minded, negative, and if you tell them something, you give them the opportunity to say, well, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. You've opened the door for them. But you know what? When you ask them a question, they can't say that. When you ask them a question, they're not going to say, well, I don't believe that. So, if you don't want to hear that, just Ask them questions. It's going to make them think. It's going to keep them engaged. And they're not going to be able to say, well, I don't agree with that. You're you're not asking them to agree with anything. You're just asking them a question. And the reason that I'm harping on this and I'm hammering this is because most people are going to forget this. They get in a a position where they can actually be a, a, a faithful servant to Christ and impart some truth and all the training goes out the window. Well, you got to believe in Jesus Christ. you believe in Jesus Christ? And you don't know, you you might not even know who you're talking to. It might be a Hindu that doesn't know Jesus Christ from Jesus down the street. So, asking questions. Another uh, good question when someone asks about, uh, or when they say that they believe in, that you have to have works on top of faith, is. <coughs> Do you think that God would send His Son all the way to earth and just do a partial job? Does that sound like what an all-wise God would do and leave the rest up to fallible man? If man cannot save himself prior to the cross, how can he save himself after the cross? Now, I'm telling you these in kind of rapid, but what you do, would do each time is just wait. Christ said... It is finished as he hung on the cross. Meaning, the salvation package is done. Did he lie? Was he mistaken? And then you just wait. See, these are some of the things. Come up with your own. I mean, just anything. I think the best one, though, is why would Christ have to go to the cross to pay for our sins if we have to work for him anyway? But you have to be prepared because there are some denominations, I know the Jehovah's Witnesses will do this, will say, well, he went to the cross to make us savable. I think it's the Mormons that think that he went and prayed for original sin, Adam's original sin imputed to us, but now you have to take care of the rest. And um, what? Yeah, well, if they, however they say, if they open the door... See, the next thing out of your mouth, because they have made an assertion. They have said something that you know is not biblically correct. And you don't want to argue with them. You don't want to preach to them. What you want them to do is have to defend that assertion. And the way that you do that is by asking them questions. And let me tell you, this is going to be foreign to them because they're not used to people doing this. They're very comfortable with people uh, disagreeing with them. Because they can just tune out if necessary. But when you're asking them questions and they have to defend it, they're in uncharted waters to begin with. Yes, Michael? Well, that, I, that, that, that's a presupposition. This, what you said, I've already taught this, and I, I probably should reiterate it here, is <clears throat> any time that somebody says that they believe in Jesus Christ, your next question automatically, it should be just spontaneous, you, you just n- nail this one every time, is that all? That's the only way you're going to be able to determine if they're truly saved or not. Because most of the people who say that they are saved are not saved. They have bought into a false gospel, a different Christ and a different gospel. And you ferret that out by just simply asking them, is that all you have to do? Another thing, it's your tone and it's your demeanor when you're talking to these people, when you're asking them questions. There's a right way and a wrong way to ask questions. You don't want to ask the questions in a challenging manner because you don't want them to be on the defensive and think this is some kind of win-and-lose proposition. The best way, I think, to ask the question is that you're confused. That should be easy for most of us. <laughs> we don't even hardly have to act and do that. But, I mean, you remember Columbo uh, way back when? You know, he, went around, he, was, he was a really very brilliant guy. But he went around like he was in a fog all the time. And what did he do? He was constantly asking questions. Yeah, just one more question. So when when somebody says that they believe in Jesus Christ, I just have one more question. (laughs) And it's not the last question it ever was with Columbo. So you go around in a fog, at least that's how you present yourself. You're just trying to understand what they say. They've made the assertion. And they made the assertion probably because you asked them a question. Now, once they give an answer that you know is wrong, don't get on your soapbox and start preaching. Just, just you know, kind of. I mean, you might fur your brow a little bit. Um, is that all you have to do? Oh no, you have to. You have to be a good whatever it is that they say you have to do. Then you really look confused. I mean, well, you know, I, I just don't understand this. Well, why not? Well, why did Christ have to go to the cross if we can work our way to salvation anyway? If we have to, why, that can you explain that to me? That's the way that you ask questions. Not oh, What about this? You know that that kind of that just defeats the purpose. So those are some, those are some of the questions. If you want to come up with your own, uh, you, you feel free to do that. I'm just giving you some suggestions. What you're doing is putting the honest on them to defend what they have already asserted asserted to be true. And you're confused. How can that be true? And if you just will use that, you're going to be amazed at how powerful that is. So many times I've used this on people. I ask them, they would make an assertion that I know is wrong and I just maybe ask one question back. And that's, well, I don't know. You know, that's just what somebody told me. Or you don't know what? So sometimes that's all it takes. So we want to ask uh, questions of these people. Now, for those that have a bit of doctrine, and those, see, I'm not picking on any group, but I know certain groups like Jehovah's Witnesses are well trained. Listen, if you're going to go door to go door, you better have some answers. The only experience I had going door-to-door when I was about 10 years old, I had the grand idea to sell Christmas cards. And they made it look so easy in this Boy Scout magazine. I thought, well, I'll do that. And they sent boxes of big boxes of Christmas cards. And so I went door-to-door, and I had a really good sales pitch. I'd knock on the door, yes. Want to buy a Christmas card? No. Wham! Wham! <laughs> Uh, so you better know, have something more than that if you're going to go knocking door to door because you don't know who's going to answer the door. You don't know what they're going to say. So they are trained. And they are trained that anytime somebody makes an issue out of salvation that it's faith alone and Christ alone, you're automatically going to James chapter 2. I can guarantee you that's what's going to happen. And... The whole problem with James chapter 2 is there is a lot of false assumptions, presuppositions that are in error because they already come from the standpoint that this is talking about salvation. And of course, we know that it's not. And so we're going to go through this so that it doesn't matter who it is, you'll be able to handle these things. Now, Let's say that you're talking to someone and they say, You've already presented your case that it's faith alone in Christ alone. And they say, Yeah, but and usually it's five words from James chapter two, verse twenty six, last verse in chapter twenty six, and they say, Yeah, but faith without works is dead. And I <laughs> do it nearly with a smirk like ha 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 i've got you now and most unfortunately that defeats most believers they don't know how to handle that thing so now the question that you might ask you go- you want to make sure that they don't go off on a tangent you want to herd them into this one spot and you do it by asking questions And if someone would tell me that, oh, yes, but faith without works is dead. Now, we know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and Titus 3, 5, and Galatians 2, 16, and Romans 6, 23, Romans 4, 5. We know all of this. So it should come as a shock. I mean, I'm confused. So you want to ask them, do you believe that the Word of God is inspired? You want to make sure, because you're going to make God's Word the issue. Remember that you always have to do that because that's what we're supposed to, we're supposed to do. That is our guide. That's everything. So you, if you ask them, uh, do you believe that the Word of God is inspired? If they've already told you, quoted something from James chapter 2, chances that they're going to say, well, no, it's not really inspired. It's pretty slim because it was undermined their own assertion in their own case. Then you might even take it one question further and ask them, well, oh, by the way, if they say no, what are you going to do? If they say, well, no, I don't really believe it's inspired. uh, Chances are slim that they would do that. But if anybody said that, what would you do? Where would you go in the Bible in order to explain that the Bible says that that's not so, that it is inspired? you're in the right book. Come on, bibliology, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. Yeah, but we're talking about, this uses the word inspiration in the English anyway. 2 Timothy 3.16 now, just think of John 3.16 and associate it with 2 Timothy 3.16, and you'll have it. Okay? Now, there's another great verse in 2 Timothy that's one less in each case. It's 2 Timothy, not 3, but 2, and not 16, but 15. But let's stick with, first of all, 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. For the Word of God, no, excuse me, for all Scripture is what? God breathed, inspired by God, and is profitable for for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Okay? That ought to be on our memory list before long. I don't know. Anyway, that's 2 Timothy 3.16. So if someone says, oh, it's not, you can say, well, the Bible says that it is. And you might even say, Pheos nustos. God breathed, inspired. Now, if you want another great verse that is in 2 Timothy and it's instead of 3.16, it's 2.15. Just take one from each one of those numbers and you have another great verse. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there's two great verses for you to remember. You can associate them, first of all, with John 3.16, only the Second Timothy 3.16, and you take one off of each one, you've got another good verse about it. Okay, well, so here you have a guy, and you've said, he agrees with you that it is inspired, and you might ask him one other question. This one is important because it's, it's setting the, I hate to call it a trap. It's not really a trap, but maybe it is, I don't know. You're, 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 yeah, uh, do you think that the Bible contradicts itself? Now, if they say that, yes, it's inspired, chances that they're going to say, well, yes, it does, is very slim. It undermines their case, and it just contradicts what they just said, that it's inspired. So if you get those affirmative answers, and that, that, yes, it is inspired, and, yes, it does not, or, no, it does not contradict itself, then you're ready to ask the next question, okay? Now, you only do this when you're talking to someone that's making James chapter 2 an issue. You don't do this to someone, to most people who come by and they say, yeah, it's a work. You just act confused and you ask them a question. Then why did Christ have to go to the cross? If if a person can't save themselves by works before the cross, how can they after this type of thing? You would just ask them that and then go from there. But for those who are going to make James chapter 2 an issue, you would set it up that way. And then just take what they have said. Now, actually, Tuesday night I gave you some some, uh, verses. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2 because I want you to circle a few verses. These are the ones that you can quote to them because when they say that the Word of God does not contradict yourself, you're really going to go into uh, drama at that point. I mean, you're really confused now. And they're going to wonder, well, why are you so confused? Now, if you're in James chapter 2, I want you to circle these verses, or the number of the verses, because these are the ones that really make their case. These are the ones that believers who believe in faith alone, in Christ alone, dread because they don't know how to handle them properly. The first one is James 2.14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? James 2.20 But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless or is dead? James 2.24 You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Wow. And James 2.26 For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now, you you probably won't remember all those, but I'm just saying, if you have your Bible handy, you could go to those and, 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 and you're saying, now, I'm confused, and you said it doesn't contradict itself, but if you can't remember anything other than that they said that faith without works is dead... By the way, uh, when they say that, you can ask them those two questions, but somewhere in that conversation, you need to ask them, what do you mean by that? Have them articulate to you what they mean when they say, well, faith without works is dead. Don't, Don't make it easy for them. They are assuming that you think What they're saying is that faith cannot be all that's necessary for salvation because if you have faith and you don't have works to go with it, it's dead. And therefore, it can't accomplish anything. It sure can't accomplish salvation. That's what they think that you're going to take that assertion as saying. but Make them say it. Have them articulate it. You know why? Because a lot of times, they're not going to be able to do it. They've heard someone else say that, or they've been trained. You go to there and you say faith without works is dead, or even if they know, James 2.14, uh, what is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith that has no works, can faith save him? And most believers, because they don't understand, they're not prepared, will struggle with this because they're thinking, yes, I believe that faith alone will save. And they've already taken the bait thinking that, It's about eternal salvation. So they struggle. Well, yes, it can. They say, but this says it can't. It needs works. So then they're dead in the water. Are y'all remembering these things? You just, whenever they say something, have them explain it to you in their own words. Because, first of all, you want to be clear. You don't want to assume that you know what they mean when they say faith without works is dead. If they say that, you might just say, well, so what? What does that have to do with anything? And then they have to explain it. Most of the time they're going to have a hard time doing it. But once they do, once they articulate it to you in a fashion that you understand, and you might even repeat it to them. Okay, if I understand you correctly, you're saying that because of this verse that faith in Christ is not enough by itself. You have to have works in order to be saved. Is that correct? But you don't say that first. You have them say it, and sometimes they can get so muddled. They they're already confused. They're the ones that confuse. Yes. <clears throat> I I hadn't looked it up, but it's probably necros. That's the Greek word for is it? Yeah, necros. Yeah. Uh-huh. Death. Well, it may have a few other translations, but what they might Well, first of all—it doesn't even say death in two fourteen, which is what you know where I'm going next. But if they go to down to James two twenty-six and they say faith without works is dead, what kind of death is that? Talking about spiritual death, physical death, sexual death, um, what? But anyway, you want—that's why you want them to explain it to you. And it's, you know, this may seem a bit laborious going through this step by step, but it's important that we do that because what it does is have them think. They don't think. They repeat what they've heard. They can't, most of them haven't ever even thought out or thought through the theology of what they're saying. They just heard someone else say it sounds good to them and they've, they've taken it. Okay, so you've asked them, Do they believe that the Bible is inspired? Yes. And it doesn't contradict itself? No. Well, what do you mean by faith without works is dead? What does that have to do with anything? And so they explained it to you and said, according to this verse, it means that the faith that you had at salvation is dead unless you have the works to go along with it, so you have to have works as well. Now, I don't know if they'll be able to articulate it that clear, but if they can't, maybe you'll help them along. That's what you want them to say. Then you spring the trap. Okay? Because once they do that, I'll go ahead and put these notes up here so you can see them. You've already just underlined or circled these verses in James. You're making the case for them. They think this is wonderful. Yes, he understands what I believe. In fact, he can say it better than I can, and he thinks it's wonderful. What's the problem? Well, I'm still confused. Why? Because look at this. These verses, I can assure you, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Romans 4.5, Romans 6.23, Galatians 2.16, Titus 3.5, these people have not heard these verses. And when you give them these verses, they're going to be off guard. I remember I, I talked to a Mormon elder a long time ago when the old Walmart used to still be over here next to what used to be the Safeway. Neither one of them were there anymore. But he had a tent. And I thought, what is that tent doing? So I pulled in there and went in there and started talking to him. I could tell in just a few seconds that he was a Mormon. And he started talking about all uh, all this. I said, I, let's cut the chase. I said, what do you got to do to be saved? And he said... Uh, well, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. You know what my next question was? Is that all? He said, Oh, no. I said, Well, what else? He said, Oh, you have to be good. You have to be baptized. You have to go to church. You have to do all that stuff. I said, Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll give you three minutes to find a verse anywhere that says that I have to have works in order to be saved. And he went to his Book of Mormon. <laughs> I said, no, no, not that book. He said, well, why not? I said, I want you to use this book. He had the Bible there. He said, well, they agree. They they, you know, they agree with each other. I said, if, if that's the case, then use this one. Now. So he started going through the Bible. And listen, He, I was confident. I was like Elijah. I was ready to a- taunt him. Oh, what's the matter? Uh, taking a while. I'm kind of slow there, aren't you? I didn't say that, but I mean, I was thinking that in my mind. Because com- it's not there. I know it's not there. I said, okay, your time's up. I said, now, let me show you a few verses that says that salvation does not depend upon works. The first one I hit him with was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And that was enough. And he was flabbergasted. He told me I have been in the mission field for 20 years and no one has ever shown me that verse. I didn't even know that verse was there. What an indictment on believers. I said, well, what are you going to do with it? I said, you want some more? He said, no. <laughs> and I went right to it. Boom. And he said, well, I tell you what. He said, let me talk to some of the elders. I'll get back with you. I said, okay. And they wrote me a letter. And they had, they found about a dozen verses that had works in it, but none of them had anything to do with salvation. But in, anyway. Uh,. So now you're saying, okay, you hit them with these verses, and you now you just said that the Bible doesn't contradict itself, but we have a problem here. You say it's that you have to have works, and Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And you have Romans four five to the one who does not work but believes, and you you have uh, Galatians two sixteen. You know, three times it says it's not. Of works, but as of faith, and so forth. So once you do that, and he's at that point, you have to make sure that he understands that there is a certainly a conundrum. There's there is a, a problem, and let me tell you something. You need to be confident about this. With the theology that he has, he cannot solve this problem. It's impossible for him to solve this problem where it looks like Paul and James are contradicting each other and then you have a contradiction in the Bible and we can't have that? He cannot do it. So you can say, well, do you want to solve that problem? I mean, I'm confused. You say it takes works. And here, it's, and you went to this one verse in James or these verses and these say just the opposite. Can you explain that to me? Do you see how powerful this is rather than you just trying to give him, quote, verses to him and everything, he is forced to think, he is forced to see that he has embraced something that he thought was in harmony with the rest of the Bible. And you're pointing out these verses, and it's not so. Now, if they bring anything into it outside of Scripture, no, we're talking about Scripture. You said that it's inspired. You said that it doesn't contradict itself. But I'm looking at these, you know, these verses are really confusing to me. I want to know the truth. How do we... How do we solve this? And wait. And, I mean, however long is is proper. And then you can start explaining to him, I think I know the solution. You think he's going to be listening to you? I think I, I see how they are not contradicting each other. Now, if I turned off this screen, I think I will. If I turned out this screen and we're at that point, what would you do? You have a problem. It looks like they're contradicting each other. What would you say to him in your own words that would help him understand there is a solution, but it's not a solution that he can come up with as long as he clings to this false doctrine? How about something like, well, Paul... And James are not talking about the same thing. Isn't that easy enough to understand? How about that? How about the fact that Paul is talking about being justified before God by faith and James is talking about being justified before man and God through faith plus works? No contradiction. One is salvific. One is experiential. And then you need to elaborate a little more. Would you be able to do that? Would you be able to elaborate a little more? Well, let me put my deal back on so you'd be able to do it. Oh, absolutely. Well, let me put it this way. He thinks he's saved as long as he keeps doing all the things that are necessary to be saved. It's a process. He thinks he's saved because he's doing everything that he thinks is required. But if if he quits going to the church, if he gets a divorce, if he quits going door to door, if he does any of these type of things, if he doesn't keep it up, he knows that he's toast. Because they don't understand grace. But and he's what he's trying to tell you is I found out I know now that Mormonism Jehovah Witness Catholics whatever it may be I know that they are they have the truth. But I also realize that salvation is a process. As long as I do this process, then I'm going to be saved. And you're coming along and saying, oh whoa whoa wait, there's no process. All it takes is faith. And he said, oh no, you got to do all these other things. And what you are enlightening him to is that if that's the case, we've got a big problem. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's what you want him to do. Well, if he believes that it's faith alone he is saved, But I've never had one come across that easy before. They are very proud that they have the answer. And and you know what? You did bring a good good point. We're saying, hey, it's simple. It's easy. Christ did all the work. All we have to do is accept the gift by believing. Your system, oh, well, not only do you have to believe, you have to be a member of church, you've got to be baptized, you have to be confirmed, you have to... uh, do all the liturgy, you have to do, you know, and and, and if you do all these things, still it's no guarantee. And you have to do them to the very end, and you don't know that you're going to do them to the very end, so you can't have any peace of mind. You still might fall off the wagon and go to hell. And we're telling them something that is, it's not only good news, it's fantastic news. And yet they are going to argue with you because they think they're right. And the only way to do it is to show them that there's a dilemma. There is, there is a contradiction. And you can ask them, what's the solution? They can say, well, you're wrong and I'm right. Okay, but that doesn't change these verses, does it? It doesn't change Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We can't just take a marker and mark out that it's not of works. That's not going to change anything. So then when you say, I think I might have a dilemma... Otherwise, what is it? Is Paul and James at odds with each other? Are they, con- are they contradicting each other? Is God confused? Here's the Scripture, 1 Corinthians 14:33. For God is not, a co- is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He's not a God of confusion. He knows exactly what He's doing. And every word is inspired by God to be there. And we have to be able to understand it or He failed in communication. The the failure is these presuppositions that people bring in that are erroneous and they have to see that this is false. And the way to do it is not tell them. The way to do it is show them the problem and ask them to solve it and they can't do it. They either have to say that it's really not inspired and it does contradict itself or there's another solution. If you say you have the solution, I'm I'm all ears. Is everybody on board? Okay. Okay. No, no. Listen, I used to I'm I'm kinda I used to think I hate James. I really why does it even have to be there? Because I was taken to the woodshed by more than one Jehovah Witness before I saw the light. Before I figured out what was going on. When they went to James two fourteen and, and uh James two fourteen, let me get to it here, or is it uh What use is it my brother? man says that he has faith, but has no work. Can that faith save him? That was brought up to me. And I said, oh, absolutely. All it takes is faith. And he said, well, it says works. You've got to have works too. And I think, what do I do now? See? Let me get back up here where we are. Now, I'm going through this flow, and I know this is review, but this is so critical that I want you to get it. So either God did not inspire the Word and there are contradictions because if the English language means anything, if faith without works negates all faith alone verses and negates all the verses that said it's not of works, what else can we conclude? What else can anybody conclude? That's Do you understand why you have to ask them first if they believe the Bible is inspired and if it is contradicts itself or not? And you're not going to get a no. I bet, doubt very seriously you're going to get a no because they just quoted it. They're not going to undermine their own assertion. Okay, <clears throat> so you the first key, this is what you want to do. Once, you, once you've told them that there is a solution and that you might say that Paul and James are not talking about the same thing. That's the first thing. But the first key in understanding these verses for both Paul and James is is that they are talking to believers? That's that's an important key. Yes. Wait here. Let's get this. People are going to be fussing at me because they I don't hear them. We got a microphone, so take it to them, will you? A uh, good question would be to ask them. Uh, uh, well, what makes you so sure that that's talking about salvation from hell? Yeah, that's a good one. You know, that They'd have to or just what that. makes you think that? Yeah, what makes you think that? Mm-hmm. And uh, that would nail them right there. They'd have to answer that. Well, see, that's what most people think. When we get to, I, I, I don't know if I'll get to it tonight or not. But when we get to James two fourteen, and when it says that they are that, that uh, faith without uh, works, it says, uh, you know, can 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 that save save a person? Most people, when they see the word saved, they default automatically to salvific faith. I mean, uh, uh, saving. You know, saved from the lake of fire. They automatically think that. And that's a a good question you can ask them. But I think to point out that maybe James and Paul aren't talking about the same thing might set that up a little better because it never occurred to them because they don't know these verses. That was my question about 2.14. You know, my mind always goes saved from what. <laughs> so if you were just reading that and you didn't understand the difference that for eternal salvation, but mm-hmm. like, you're just coming in the context in there. Yeah, what the con- is it not only the context about being saved from. Yeah, yeah. The context is critical. But not only that, what I have ready for you that I'm not even gotten to yet. We're going to pick uh, James two fourteen apart there's two things that are critical that they understand. And that is the word faith and the word save. Because faith can mean the, uh, uh, what you did at salvation in order to believe in Jesus Christ. That type of faith. Or it can mean the body of teaching. See? And which one that is is going to determine whether it's temporary or eternal. Whether it is experiential or salvific. And I'm going to give you the reasons why it has to be the latter that it's talking about the body of faith. And the same thing with salvation. I, I'm going into the lexicons of the Greek to show you. This is where I'm getting the definitions so that you can say with all confidence what type of faith this is talking about. What you know, Because it can mean more than one thing. With the salvation, salvation 60% of the time is referring to just simple physical deliverance of some sort. 40% of the time it's salvific, but more times than not it is not salvific. And when the you get to don't that, know that, are you going to say specifically what that passage is talking well, about, yeah, being yeah, saved yeah, from? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so the major key, first one, is that they are believers. Here's the key. This is how you know they're believers. First of all, because both James and Paul calls them brethren, which is a term for believers. I, I had someone argue with me about this one time. He said, well, he's just talking to other Jews. I said, well, why did Paul call the Corinthians who are Greek's brethren. It's a universal term. But if that doesn't do it, by the way, James 2, 1, James calls them brethren. 1 Corinthians 3, 1, uh, Paul calls them brethren. But also James says in James 4, 5, Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which he has made to dwell in us. God does not make his Holy Spirit dwell in unbelievers. That proves they are believers. In, in, as far as Paul is concerned, First Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know that you're, you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He is talking to believers now. Why is that important? I want you to think for a minute. If I ask you a question, if this is a test question, why would you why why can you understand that this is important? That you make the case that he's talking to believers. Yes, but to a, see, to a, a Jehovah Witness, uh, it doesn't matter that much whether they're a believer because you can lose your salvation anyway. But this is when you make the point that he, both Paul and James, are talking to believers. What you've done is demonstrated that there's no reason for him to talking about eternal salvation. There's no reason for him to be saying at this point that you have to add these other things to it to be saved because they're already saved. You see the, 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 the mindset there. So when you say that they, and you prove they both taught, said brethren, both of them assert that they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They have to be believers. So why, and when we go to the tech context, we're going to see the whole thing is about their behavior. They have received the Word. They have been taught doctrine, but they're not applying it. That's what James is about. Nothing to do with salvation. okay uh I think I'll, I'll pass up some of this both Paul and uh, uh James make the case that they were uh, they were not applying doctrine they were really off course and we're talking about believers and you remember the Corinthians they did everything you can think of they were the worst they they had every base covered when it came to mental attitude, any kind of they did everything wrong, they did. When they had a, a an incestuous believer in there, they just oh well this is cool come on in you're welcome just stay right here we don't care, and Paul excoriated him for that because uh, not even uh, not even the unbelievers would put up with that. Put him out, turn we'll turn his flesh over to Satan, and so they did that. And then he, he repented, he changed his mind, acknowledged that he was wrong and wanted to come back. And then they wouldn't let him come back. And that was wrong. The whole purpose of shunning or some people would say excommunicating to separate from people is for them to understand, hey, you're in serious trouble here. He recognized it, repented, and then they, wouldn't let they did everything wrong. So both of them were believers that, that uh, Paul and James are dealing with in carnality. Here's some more verses uh, talking about they were dealing with carnal believers. James 4 2, James 4 4, 1 Corinthians 5 1, 1, Corinthians 3 3. Those are all. Now, here's the second major key. And this is the major, major one is that Paul and James are not talking about the same thing. And these, most people assume that they are. But they're not. They can't be if they were then the then the Bible would contradict itself <coughs> did you did you bring up the powerpoint okay y'all hold on just a second. Okay. To demonstrate that they're not talking about the same thing, see, you are familiar with How come this thing come around? You're familiar with experiential and positional, right? They're not It's not coming up. Can you come up here? I've clicked it three times. (laughs) Here it is right here. And it's not coming up. Anyway, what I'm going to show you with regards to PowerPoint, many of you saw it last time, is that Paul, on one side, is talking about a certain type of justification. And James is over on this other side, and he's talking about a different type of justification. And I'm showing you on a PowerPoint, if it would ever come up, the difference between the two. And as you're explaining this to someone, the difference between the justification that Paul is talking about and the one that James is talking about is completely different. That explains how they don't contradict. And I would bet the farm that they have never heard this before and it's going to start making sense to them if they are halfway open. And see, they're going to be ready for you to talk now. you presented a monumental problem and they can't solve it. And you've given them time to solve it. What do you say? What do you think? They might, well, I don't know. All I know is that you've got to have works also. Well, then explain Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 to me. You said the Bible's inspired. You said it doesn't contradict itself. Then explain it. You can't do it. So he should be ready to listen at that point. And when you say that Paul and James didn't talk about the same thing, he still doesn't know what you're talking about until you say both of them are talking about justification, but neither one of them are talking about the same type of justification. Didn't you know that there's more than one type of justification? And I can guarantee you, they're not taught that. Even denominations don't teach that. Not many people know that. And if you don't know the difference between positional and an experiential, if you don't know the difference between a experiential justification, a positional justification, what is what is salvific and what's not, how far are you going to be able to understand the Bible? They don't. It, well, we gotta. It's still not coming up? Okay. Well, I'll just keep to my knitting. I could I could go through it, but it's more powerful when I go through it and you see it at the same time. Um, can you remember this? That Paul is talking about being justified before God, and James is talking about being justified before man. And they're not the same. One is positional. One is experiential. Oh, man. James 2.14. Turn to it. To understand James 2.14, you have to understand both faith and save. Here we are. James chapter 1 speaks of encouragement, endurance, perseverance, and being a doer of the Word. Any of that sound salvific? The first 13 verses of chapter 2 mentions how the believers were showing partiality to rich people and other transgressions. So to understand verse 14, one must understand the meaning of these words, such as faith and save. What is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? Now I already explained that they think that this faith is referring to the faith that you have at salvation because they're trying to push this and fit it in a salvific box and they can't do it. But that's what they're doing. So let's look at faith. You know that uh, that as in English, a Greek word can have more than one meaning, and it's usually the context that determines its correct meaning. Y'all all understand that. Well, look at here, faith. This is from uh, the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament and other Christian literature. This is a heavy hitter. They call this BDAG, and it is the go-to lexicon of theologians. So it's, a, it's very... Uh, has a lot of credibility. So, the word fa- and and what I'm what I'm doing here is I actually copied this word for word off of their lexicon. So the great uh, the Greek word for faith is pistis. When did you hear that before? How about last Sunday? Remember? Pistis is a noun, pistos is an adjective, pistuo is a verb. Okay. Number 1, meaning that which evokes trust and faith. 2. State of believing on the basis of the reliability of the one trusted. Trust, confidence, and faith. Both of those could be salvific, right? Number three. That which is believed, the body of faith, believe the teaching. And what I'm telling you is in this verse, it's not referring to one or two, it's referring to number three. The body of Teaching, or we would just say doctrine. Now, certainly Ephesians 2:8-9, For by grace are you saved through faith, refers to meaning number two. Remember? However, 1 Timothy 4.1 says, But the Spirit expressly says in latter times, Some will fall away from the faith. Faith mentioned here is clearly referring to meaning number three, right? The, the, The body of teaching. They'll fall away from that faith. It's the same word, P-I-S-T-I-S, but it has those different meanings. So what does faith have in James 2.14? What, what meaning does faith have? Now, before I tell you this, consider verses 21 and 22 of, verse of chapter 1. Here's setting up the context. In humility receive, meaning learn, the word implanted. That is a command. Number two, I mean, verse 22, prove yourselves doer, doers of the word, meaning application. So what is James emphasizing in chapter one? Learning the word and doing the word, perceiving it and applying it. Now, in between verses one through 13 of chapter two, James exposed the failure of those believers to live up to their calling and duty. It is the context that introduces, it's that context that introduces verse 14. They had learned doctrine, but they were failing to apply it. This is the structure of the entire epistle. It is about taking biblical truth and applying it to circumstances. That's what the whole book of James is about. Now, see, all that got us up to where we were going to start tonight. <laughs> this gives Carrie Fitz, she's trying to put all this together it's to just... Okay, now here's why. Here are the fa- Let's look at the facts so we can determine why the faith in this verse is referring to the third one, the body of knowledge and not the faith that took part at salvation. You understand why that's important. It's going to set the whole tone. The facts. First, number one, James was addressing believers. Number two, they had learned doctrine but were failing to apply it. Three, the focus was on their behavior, not their eternal destiny. Four, eternal salvation was not mentioned because it wasn't an issue. Number five, therefore faith in verse 14 must refer to the body of teaching they received but were ignoring and not the faith that they exerted when they believed the gospel. Now wouldn't any rational person come to that conclusion based on these verses and the context? To to, to allege that this is talking about the faith you have at salvation would be like talking to somebody about a fishing trip. And in the middle of the fishing trip, uh, guys are speaking, they're talking, and in the middle of the fishing trip, one of them says, well, you know, I think chartreuse is the best color for tutus. What would you think? What? I mean, I know what you guys would think. You might be thrown out of the boat. You know Uh, what I'm saying? This is how foreign this idea is to what... The context is. Oh, well, we'll go into save next. We've got to look at save and do the same thing with it. We've got to determine whether it's talking about salvific type salvation being saved or whether it's saved from some type of temporary physical danger. And we'll look at the facts again. We're going through this laboriously in order to nail it down because I want every one of you to be able to, to not run away from James 2. In fact, you would like to invite it because you know, you're you prepared, you know what to do. You're going to ask them questions. You're going to present the dilemma. They don't know what to do. We'll say, well, uh, how about this? Okay? And we'll start, <laughs> we'll start next time where I was going to start tonight. <laughs> We're going to try. <laughs> Okay, let's close. Father, thank You for this time that You've given us to prepare ourselves to be good and faithful servants. We need to go over these verses that we know unbelievers who have bought the lie are going to. That we won't be debating with them or putting them on the defensive, but we will challenge them to think, maybe for the first time, and let Your Word speak for itself. So we pray that You will help us to meditate upon these things so that we can be ready. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.